Now we'll have the sermon brought to us today, of course, by our pastor, Mr. Lawrence Gregory, entitled Five Important Words. Good afternoon. Thursday was July 4th, an important holiday in the United States of America. First observed 237 years ago from the official proclamation of July 4th, 1776, as a day of independence from England. I have five important words relating to that time and to now. These five important words, among them occur in the official document that is officially called the Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America, but commonly it's referred to as the Declaration of Independence, the third document on our wall over here, and then the fourth is the Constitution of the United States. Now, I'd like to read from that uh, document here, from the first Declaration of Independence, just a few uh, sentences and a few paragraphs. First, we are familiar with this. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impels them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then after uh, several dozen uh, complaints against the uh, King of England and the abuses that were on the uh, colonies, it continues, a prince against uh, the prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Then, continuing on, we must therefore acquiesce in the necessary necessity, pardon me, which denounces our separation, and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, and General Cong Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and are of right, ought to be free and independent states. Free and independent states. Things which independent states may of right do and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And of course, I amended the reading of that document, the Declaration of Independence, commonly known as the Unanimous Declaration of the United States of America. Now, those five words that are in our document and that are concern us today are separate, divide, 
free, liberty, and independent. Now, five of these words are found in uh, the dictionary, and I have the uh, dictionary here that is uh, by the American Heritage Dictionary and mine at home, the Collegiate Webster's Dictionary, among several others, and then Roger's Pocket Thesaurus, and then from the Bible. But those words that are found, all five of those words are found in the dictionary and thesaurus and have very similar and related meanings, and I'd like to share those with you now. First two, separate and divide. Separate, the first definition of the dictionary is to set apart, divide, or being divided. Then under divide, the first definition is to separate from or become separated into parts. And we use that interchangeably, like you have a pile of beans, you'll say, separate these into ten piles, or divide these beans into ten piles. And so we use separate and divide interchangeably, and we'll see that in the scriptures also. And then the next words are free and liberty. Free, the first definition is a liberty not bound or constrained. And then liberty, the first definition is the conditions of being free. And then the word independent. The word independent from the dictionary, the first meaning is a political definition of the autonomy of a political uh, person. The second definition is free from the influence, guidance, or control of others. Self-reliant. Then if I looked in the uh, Roger's thesaurus, the first definition that I saw, now thesaurus, you know, has the antonyms and the synonyms, the, the like and the opposite uh, words. Um, Antonyms, the opposite. Synonyms, the same words that are uh, used interchangeably with other words. The first definition in the thesaurus for independent is free, self-governing, again, self-reliant, unconnected, or separate from. I thought that was uh, very interesting to uh, look at the interplay and the intermingling of those five words that are in our Declaration of Independence, commonly called, and we'll see later in the scriptures. Now, for Bible references, uh, this is interesting too. Uh, now, you know a number of Hebrew words and Greek words, and they'll have a number of English words and a number of English words in the Greek from the Hebrew and the Greek, and sometimes those words are very similar and sometimes different. So if you have a, a thesaurus, a, a dictionary, a concordance, a lexicon, then you can trace out sometimes those words. Now, the first uh, two words that are really companion words, uh, separate and divide, are the Hebrew word badal, and it means to divide or to separate. And those words in the English are used interchangeably. The second, the uh, third and fourth words are free and liberty. And uh, it's interesting that a number of those words are uh, pronounced Kafshi, and it means exempt from bondage, tax or care, free or liberty, or the same word. So f liberty and free in the Bible are used interchangeably from that basic Hebrew word. Now there are some other words that are also used that are translated uh, in these different words. Now, it's interesting that the word independent or dependent is not found in the scriptures. I couldn't find it and I searched diligently uh, but I couldn't find independent or dependent. But the concept is there, and we'll talk about that a little later. 
Now, I want to take the second step from the general biblical uh, definition of these words and go to a more specific definition and see how those are used specifically in the scriptures here. So, uh, please go to, back to Genesis, the first chapter. And we'll see the first few verses here. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the first day that's mentioned, the first and second day we'll look at. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So this word divided, or divide, is the same Hebrew word badal, that is also translated, in fact, some scripture references, other Bibles translate, instead of divide here, they'll have the word separate. And so, separate the night from the day, and he called uh, the day, day, and the night, evening, or night. And then the second reference here, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So he divided the expanse between the waters. Divided or separated. So those words are used interchangeably here. Now, let's go on to another scripture. Uh, we have uh, several scripture references here. Um, Numbers, the 16th chapter. And uh, verse 21. This is at the uh, time of Korah's rebellion. You're familiar with that. And uh, verse 20, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, in verse 21, Separate yourselves. From among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and they prayed to God. So he said, divide or separate yourself from this congregation. Now let's keep in mind these terms as we go through here and the concept and where uh, we're going with this. Then the uh, next reference is in Isaiah the 59th chapter. There are so many, so I've just selected a few here. Uh, bear with me. You can take your own references and search out these a little later. Isaiah 59 and um, verse 2 and 3. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have, had, have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongues has muttered perverseness, and you can go on and he lists the uh, sins here. So this was about 3,300 years after Genesis 1, and we have the same concept that God is talking to them, that, but in the negative sense, their sins have separated them between you and your God. So 
something came between to divide the people and God or to separate them, and that was a listing of their sins. Then back in Ezra, the 10th chapter, back up here, this is... uh, Several hundred years, several thousand years actually, after that time and uh, of creation, Ezra the 10th chapter. There are a number of references here in Ezra, but we'll just look at this one in verse 11. Now therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said, as you have said, so must we do. So the people agreed to do that. So uh, this is uh, in the fourth century uh, before Christ, which would have been about, what, 3,600 years after creation. Uh, They had, Israel had, even after coming back out of captivity, they're 70 years in Babylon, and uh, about 80 years later, they had fallen back into some of their old sins of intermarrying and uh, marrying outside of Israel, and God is rebuking them, telling them to separate, and so they agreed to do that and put away their wives and children because it was contrary to God's instruction and direction for them. Now, let's go to, um, let's see... Uh, yeah, I've already gone through some of those uh, scriptures in the Old Testament. Uh, go to the New Testament. Matthew 25, 32. Matthew 25, verse 32. Begin the paragraph in verse 31, and don't have it on the uh, board, but uh, when the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And verse 32, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Same word. Dividing and separating in the Greek here. This uh, word is uh, aphorizio, and it, and it means to separate or to divide. And it's used interchangeably here, right? Even in the same verse. Then in the Second Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 17. We're so familiar with this verse here in 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Paul said, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God. And so, this call to separate from the world is for us Christian believers and saints. I, I, I got amused and I was telling Janice uh, uh, that uh, 
you notice they're uh, making two of the popes saints. Uh, and I thought, you know, uh, that's long after the fact. All believers are saints, aren't we? But this is something that the Catholic Church officially proclaims these two popes. Uh, how can you be a pope and not be a saint? I thought that was kind of late uh, recognition, but that's the way they do things. But anyway, we have this call to come out, come out of Babylon, come out of the world, to be separate from it, and God says he'll receive us. And so this concept from Genesis to the book of Revelation, we'll see if you'll turn to Revelation, the 18th chapter, verse 4, even though it doesn't specifically say it here, uh, notice what this says. There is a, a concept of believers of Israel and believers. Chapter 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, quoting from the Old Testament, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. And so the call is, for us to separate ourselves, to come out from the world, to be separate. That's a, a call that has run throughout the scriptures from Genesis to uh, Revelation. Now, I want to continue the uh, scriptural uh, review of a couple of more terms, and that is the terms free and liberty. And here I have to take some license because there's some similarity. These words are used interchangeably, but there, like I said, there's other Greek words that are translated free, other Greek words that are translated liberty, uh, divide, separate, uh, same thing in the Hebrew. But um, let's look here in the um, Old Testament uh, without going and spending a lot of time in Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, other books of the Bible, the prophets. Uh, we see a lot of instruction about uh, how they were to treat their slaves, whether they were servants or slaves, home-born, that were sold into slavery because of financial obligations or whatever, or foreign slaves, uh, foreign immigrants that became a part of their uh, uh, slave or, or bond servants, uh, however, or employees, however you want to identify that. But uh, let's go to uh, Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter. Old Testament scriptures first, then some New Testament versus Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter. Verse 12 through 15. And if your brother, an Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto you and serve you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him out free from you, you shall not send, let him go away empty. You shall furnish him uh, liberally out of your flock and out of your floor and out of your winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God has blessed you that you shall give him. And you shall remember that you was a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing this day. And so there's more and you can do, and we're not going to do that today to spend a lot of time uh, talking about the seventh year of release and the uh, year of Jubilee, the 50th, seven times seven, and then the 50th year of, re of release and all the blessings that went with that. 
But here we see that God reminded them that he had redeemed them. And so they were to let their slaves go free in the seventh year. Now remember that. Now in Isaiah the 58th chapter, verse 6. He's talking about the fast day, the kind of day that he has chosen compared to how men look on uh, and what they do with their, in their religious exercises. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Isn't that what God is doing in an individual's life? when he works with them and calls them and separates them from the world, is he releases them from bondage, he gives them freedom, and he gives them uh, liberty. In uh, the New Testament, John, the eighth chapter. I think you probably, if you're ahead of me here, thinking about where we're going with this and uh, the uh, concepts that we're laying out uh, here. John eight thirty one. Probably already on the board there. He spake these words. Many believed on him. Jen said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. My disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What will it make us free from? We'll see... The bondage of sin. Truth will set us free from error and from lies and from the things that we see that make us captive in the world. And we could expand a lot on that, but let's go to uh, Galatians, Paul's writing, in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Verse 1. Stand fast. Now, remember what Jesus said. Continue in the word. It's not starting and going, starting and going, or starting and stopping, and then expecting because we turned back to the world. But to continue to stand fast, Paul says, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So the word liberty and freedom used interchangeably here in this one verse. So we're not to go back and get all entangled again in the world. It's hard sometimes to be separate and to walk separate. I know we have to accept persecution and opposition and rejection. Rejection, difficulties with employers, with family, with friends, with neighbors, with society, with the government. When we take upon on ourselves in whatever nation we are now in America, you know, we have been such a blessed people to have all of these wonderful blessings that much of the world envies and, and is jealous of or uh, hates this, the freedoms and the liberty that we have here in America. But Christ has set us free. We've seen the intermingling of these words of liberty and freedom. Uh, let's go back to Leviticus, the 25th chapter now. 
Leviticus 25. Verse 8. And you shall number seven Sabbaths of years unto you, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto you forty and nine years. Then shall you cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. Verse 10, And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. And so the year of jubilee was like the year of the uh, seventh year of release, only larger. So they had two years. This 49th year was the year of release, and then the 50th year. And so they had to have enough food provided for them to last over several years so that they could begin to eat and harvest their crops again. You can go back and study that and you can see how God blessed them and promised if they would do that faithfully that he would bless their nation and their people. Now, uh, I ask Richard to show uh, something here. Uh, to put up the uh, Liberty Bell, we have in America, we've been fortunate enough to have so many uh, recognizable emblems like our American flag, uh, the, the uh, Liberty Bell. Uh, you have that picture? It's coming up, I guess. Oh, it's not back there. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is one of the recognized uh, in Philadelphia in Liberty Bell uh, Center there. It's in the outside, and you notice the crack on it, and there's stories about that crack in that Liberty Bell when it was first uh, given to America back in the 1700s before uh, the Declaration of Independence, uh, 1750s, I think. Uh, you can study up on all of this. I'll just abbreviate some of this. Uh, the bell was made and, and contributed to uh, Philadelphia. And when they rang it, it cracked. And uh, the, so they recast it and remelted it a couple of times. And then they used it, and then it cracked again, and then they remade it, and then at, uh, in the 18, early 1800s at uh, Supreme Court Justice John Marshall's uh, funeral uh, death, a funeral ceremony, they rang it and it cracked again, and then they refashioned it. Then they uh, rung the bell at uh, George Washington's birthday commemoration, uh, centennial of his birth, and it cracked again. So for some reason, this bell was intended to have cracks in it, even though it's been uh, rung and is, has been repaired numerous times. And on this bell, it has the phrase from Leviticus 25.10 I just read, and it says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. And so this is one of the recognized symbols of America is this cracked liberty bell. We have it on coins. We've had it on stamps. You've seen it in books. You've grown up uh, reading. And you can go back on, you probably search out some history and read about all the different times that it's rung. And millions of people a year visit this bell, Liberty Bell there in Philadelphia to see because it's been a great symbol of our American freedom. But the interesting thing is 
isn't liberty and freedom is cracked. It's not perfect. We don't have it perfect. And it's getting less and less or more and more imperfect, we'll say, politically as time goes on. It looks like the fracturing of our liberty and of our freedoms in America are becoming uh, more cracked as we progress. But anyway, the next one I want to say is uh, the uh, next picture. I'll better turn around here so I can see. Richard? Ah, you recognize that one, don't you? Statue of Liberty. And those of us who have been there and have seen this uh, have been impressive in Ellis Island. But uh, this lady, uh, Liberty, there in New York Harbor, notice she's walking free, walking forward. Her shackles, you don't see them too, too much from this angle, but her chains and shackles are at her feet. And she's walking and stepping out with the light to light the way in the right hand. And in the left hand, she has a book. And on it, it says July 4th, 1776. Many of us have been there now. They've just reopened that yesterday, Thursday, I guess it was, after it was uh, damaged from the hurricane that went through uh, sometime back. But this Statue of Liberty, Lady Liberty, we recognize this. It's one of the most recognized uh, symbols of America. And millions and millions of immigrants, when they've come into New York Harbor there to Ellis Island registered, you go through that and you'll see pictures and pictures of all kinds of uh, immigrants that have come through legally into America. And so they've seen this Lady Liberty there uh, shining the light as she goes forward from unshackled with freedom. And that's why she's called Lady Liberty or uh, Lady Freedom. Now, let's uh, go to Isaiah, the 61st chapter. Those of you who have been there have been very impressed with seeing that and maybe have gone in and walked up those 300 and some steps. I didn't try that. That was uh, just nice to stand outside and to look at it. Isaiah 61. I get there. And um, verse 1 through 3. This is something in the Old Testament that Jesus quoted in the New Testament. We'll look at that. Uh, reference here in just a moment. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He, God, might be glorified. Now, for the New Testament, let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter, and uh, verse 16, Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he deliberately opened the book, like I do up here, and found he had to turn to, to get to the pages where he wanted to quote. And he found that place where it was written in Isaiah, where I just read, 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me, he's talking about himself, Jesus referring to himself, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all began to wonder at the gracious words, the wonderful things that proceeded from him, and that he said. You know, uh, how many of us have just longed for the time when we could hear Jesus speak and talk, to hear him preach, to hear him explain the scriptures, to hear him teach. One day we'll have that opportunity. Must have been a marvelous, wonderful thing because they were, you know, when he would speak, they were just amazed. They'd never never heard anyone speak like he did. And they were all enthralled and caught up in just the wonderful way that he would, through the Spirit of God, express and explain. And here he's saying, this scripture in Isaiah refers to me. That's what I'm doing. And so he fulfilled that. In Galatians, back to Galatians, the fifth chapter where we were earlier, um, verse 13 and 14 For, brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so, just as we saw in the first message, you know, uh, people have a problem with idolatry, with letting something come between them and God, to separating their affections, dividing their interest, taking up with sinful ways and the way of the world and the way of idolatry, rather than staying fixed on God and staying single-minded on His ways. And so we're encouraged to have liberty, but not to use that as a license, say, well, I'm free now, I'm, you know, I can do anything I want to, like I can live the week the way I want to, and then I can go do uh, obeyance, penance, or whatever, on one day of the week, or pay some money, or go confess, and then I'm okay for the, for the next time. No, we're not expect, we're expected to live a life of perfection, to continue to grow, to stay, to continue, to be always walking in that way of righteousness. Back in Jeremiah, the 34th chapter. Uh, Let's see, verse, I'm going to read a number of passages here, beginning in verse 8. This is the word, this is the second time the word of God came to Jeremiah, just a little bit after the earlier verse 1. We won't go back into that, uh, those uh, references there. But in uh, verse 8, this is the word that came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, after that the king Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people which were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty unto them, that every man should let his manservant, every man his maidservant, being an Hebrew, or in Hebrew, go free 
that none should serve themselves of them to wit of a Jew his brother. Now when all the princes and all the people which had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should let his manservant and everyone his maidservant go free, that none should serve themselves of them any more, then they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they turned and caused the servants and the handmaids whom they had let go free to return and brought them into subjection for servitude and for handmaids. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Bondon, saying, At the end of seven years let you go every man his brother and Hebrew, which has been sold unto you. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you, but your fathers hearken not unto me, neither incline to their ear. But you are now turned, and have done right in my sight, in proclaiming liberty every man to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name, in the temple. But you turn, we don't have any other information on that, so evidently, as Nebuchadnezzar was invading uh, Jerusalem and Judah, this is in the... Uh, uh, just at the turn of the, uh, the 6th to the 5th century when Nebuchadnezzar was attacking Judah. And uh, evidently uh, Zedekiah, the king, the last king of Judah, uh, had made, uh, convinced the people to go into the temple and made a covenant in there. And they agreed to turn them loose. Well, you know what happens if you've got employees and you've got servants working for you, pretty soon, hey, that's not a, carnally speaking, not a good decision because now you've got to do the work and now you've got to take care of, now you've got to do what they were doing before. So they recanted on that and they turned back and they took them back into captivity. The, their servants took them back into bondage. But you turned and polluted my name and caused every man, verse 16, his servant and every man his handmaid, when he had set at liberty at their pleasure to return and brought them unto subjection to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not hearkened unto me to proclaim liberty, every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, says the Lord, to the sword and to the pestilence and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth. And so, uh, let me read a little bit here from uh, uh, the... Uh, Moffat translation of this verse here to help kind of clear it. And other translations will help. I don't know. Do we have this, Richard? And Okay, we don't have. So I'm just going to read uh, one verse here, verse 17. Therefore the eternal declares, since you would not obey me and proclaim freedom, each to his brother and follow, I now proclaim you free, says the Lord, free to fall under the sword, the pestilence, and the famine. I will make your fate a terror to every kingdom upon the earth. And uh, he continues on. So what he's saying is, I spared you and I blessed you back when you came out of Egypt. And then when you made this covenant with me, when uh, the Babylonians were attacking. And uh, you, made, you entered into this covenant. And then he turned and he went away. But God says, now that you've turned your mind back and you've taken them back into bondage again... I'm going to turn Babylon, uh, king of Babylon back around and uh, he did this. He destroyed the temple, burned it, destroyed the city, took Zedekiah into uh, uh, prison and he died there in Babylon in prison. 
And uh, he, he put the king of Babylon, uh, put Jeconiah as king in his place. You can read that history there, but I want to continue on here in uh, verse 18. And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant which they had made before, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts thereof. Now, I'm going to read verse uh, 19 from the Amplified Version here, just uh, this, this verse, and others will help you here. Uh, let's see. Jeremiah 34, 19. Then the prince of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of... No, verse 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant... Excuse me for getting ahead there. Uh, who did not keep the terms of the pledge or covenant which they had made before me, I will make them like the sacrifice calf which they cut in two and then pass between its separated parts. Look it up in your Hebrew. You'll see separated parts... Uh, solemnitizing their pledge to me, I will make these men the calf. So when, and that was a, a custom, you know, when, a, when they would, an individual or nation would make sacrifices before the temple or after the temple. Uh, like in Abraham's day, they would divide the sacrifices and come in between. It's like the two parties that were agreeing, like a covenant. God said his part and the person's part, and then they would eat the uh, sacrifice and share in that to the temple or, or tabernacle service. And you could read on, study out how those uh, sacrifices uh, were uh, administered uh, in, uh, in other ways. But God said, you were supposed to separate yourself with that covenant that you made, but you didn't do it. So... The princes of Judah and the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs and the priests and all the people of the land which passed between the parts of the calf, I will even give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of them that seek their life and their dead bodies shall be meat unto the fowls of the heaven and to the beasts of the earth. Because they went back on the agreement that they had entered into before when they were free and then they had an opportunity to give freedom to others and they recanted and they took them back into bondage so God is saying, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to, those that have been free from you, I'm going to turn them loose and they come back and take you into bondage. So turn about, and, and our phrasing is uh, fair play. Now, the uh, word independence that I mentioned is not found in the Bible, but the concept that we uh, explained, the freedom and the liberty, uh, the dependence uh, on uh, the people. Just think about this. Independence is... Dependent on God, but not dependent on man. Free from man, but uh, obligated to, uh, to God, to trust in Him, to have confidence in Him. However, there's other uh, scriptures and words. Now, I've got uh, another scripture reference here uh, concerning this, and this is back in Second uh, Chronicles, the 16th chapter. And this is in the uh, days of... Uh, Asa, king of uh, Judah, in the ninth century, early on, uh, before Christ, about 900 years, uh, let's see, verse 7 and 8. And uh, Asa had, before this, had uh, been involved in several wars with the Egyptians and other uh, countries. And one time there was a million-man army came against him, 
And he only had a few hundred thousand soldiers, but because he looked to God and trusted in God, God uh, defeated the other army and he gave him victory. And he did this several times. But uh, notice here in verse 7, At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because, well, what had happened? Let me set up here. Uh, Israel had uh, entered into and began to build some fortifications in the city and the areas of uh, Judah. And uh, so Asa hired the Syrians to fight against the Israelites so that he could have those cities. And so there was war between Syria and uh, the uh, Israelites. And uh, so uh, now Syria is in a dominant uh, situation. Uh, at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, we've heard this so many times, throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein you have done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth you shall have war. And he did until he died and then a horrible death later. You can read the rest of the story about uh, Asa and the things that he went through. Now, because he didn't rely on God, he relied on man. And so God was going to punish him because he was dependent on man, not on God. He was not independent from man. He was dependent. He was independent from God. So he had it all backwards. So you can think of some of the lessons there. Now, um, during these holiday periods, I like to think of and look at a lot of the uh, things concerning uh, America and our Israel heritage and the providences uh, that have uh, blessed us so much. And you know, in past years, I've shared some of this. I'm going to share right now an article that was written in the, uh, uh, back in the 90s in the fantasy and science fiction magazine by Isaac Asimov and it was duplicated, reprinted in the July 1992 issue of the Reader Digest magazine and I copied it back then and have uh, shared this in previous years but it's been quite some time since I've uh, shared this so I'm going to read some excerpts from uh, the title of this article by Isaac Asimov. You know he was a uh, Bible scholar and a science fiction writer. He was one of the uh, premier science fiction writers, if you know of Isaac Asimov and some of his works. Uh, I'm going to read here. So we have some time here, a few minutes. It's going to take me uh, three or four minutes to do this. And then we're going to close. I have a weakness. I am crazy, absolutely nuts about our national anthem. The words are difficult and the tune is almost impossible. But frequently, when I'm taking a shower, I sing it with as much power and emotion as I can. It shakes me up every time. And most of the time, now, uh, I'm just going to say this uh, here. Uh, this, the Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem, is not in our red hymnal, it's not in our blue hymnal. 
It was in the little green hymnal from Church of God International that we used to use many years ago, but uh, on page six, but there's only two verses in the song, the first verse and the fourth verse. Now, a lot of folks only know the first verse, or the first chorus, and uh, usually sung badly by many who get it all. Every time I hear it, I just groan, you know, they put their own, um, what, what's the word I'm, what, Ridge? They put their own spin on the sound of how they want to sing that. But anyway, carrying on here with Isaac Asimov. I was once asked to speak at a luncheon. Taking my life in my hands, I announced I was going to sing our national anthem. All four verses. This was greeted with loud groans. One man closed the door to the kitchen where the noise of dishes and cutlery was loud and distracting. Thanks, Herb, I said. That's all right, he said. It was at the request of the kitchen staff. <laughs> I explained the background of the anthem and then sang all four stanzas. Let me tell you, those people had never heard it before. How many have heard all four stanzas of the Star Spangled Banner? Some of us. Most of us, one, maybe two, maybe three verses, but never four. Okay. Those people had never heard it before or had never really listened. I got a standing ovation. Before, it was not me, but it was not me, it was the anthem. More recently, while conducting a seminar, I told my students the story of the anthem and sang all four stanzas. Again, there was a wild ovation and prolonged applause, and again, it was the anthem and not me. So now let me tell you how it came to be written. And I'll just read just a little bit of the history here of the um, War of 1812. You can go back in your history books or computer and search this out and, and uh, read it. But in 1812, the United States went to war with Great Britain, primarily over freedom of the seas. We were in the right. For two years, we held off the British, even though we were still a rather weak country. Now, our original uh, in 1776 there were a lot of abuses that Britain was foisting on America, and those are listed in our document over there. But uh, uh, you can read the history of the war for a couple of years, how it went on in the uh, United States on the East Coast there between Britain and America. So let me just jump up here to the British reached the American coast and on August 24th, 1814, took Washington, D.C., then they moved up the Chesapeake Bay toward Baltimore. On September 12th, they arrived and found 1,000 men in Fort McHenry, which is right at the entrance to south of, uh, of uh, Baltimore in the uh, Chesapeake Bay area. You can look on your map, see that. Uh, whose guns controlled the harbor. If the British wished to take Baltimore, they would have to take the fort. On one of the British ships was an aged physician, William Beans who had been arrested in Maryland and brought along as a prisoner. Francis Scott Key, a lawyer and friend of the physician, had come to the ship to negotiate his release. The British captain was willing, but the two Americans would have to wait. It was now the night of September 13th, and the bombardment of Fort McHenry was about to start. As twilight deepened, Key and Beans saw the American flag flying over Fort McHenry. Through the night, they heard bombs bursting and saw the red glare of rockets. They knew the fort was resisting and the American flag was still flying. But toward morning, the bombardment ceased and a dread silence fell. 
either Fort McHenry had surrendered and the British flag flew over it, or the bombardment had failed and the American flag still flew. As dawn began to brighten the eastern sky, Key and Beans stared out at the fort, trying to see which flag flew over it. He and the physician must have asked each other over and over, can you see the flag? After it was all finished, Key wrote a four stanza poem called The Events of That Night, The Defense of Fort McHenry. It was published in newspapers and swept the nation. Someone noted that the words fit an old English tune called the Anacreon in Heaven. And this was the, uh, Anacreon was a Greek uh, poet back in the fifth century. Uh, a difficult melody with an uncomfortable large vocal range. Oh, yes it is. For obvious reasons, Key's work became known as the Star Spangled Banner. And in 1931, Congress declared yet the official anthem of the United States. Now, this is, this, this is a question and answer in this song. And the first phrase is a question. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming? Question. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Question. Ramparts, in case you don't know, are the protective walls or other elevations that surround a fort. The first stanza asks a question. The second stanza gives an answer. On the shore dimly seen through the mist of the deep, Wave the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes. Where? What is that which the breeze or the towering steeps, as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses? Question. Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected, now shines on the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner. Oh, long may it wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. In the third stanza, uh, Key and uh, the doctor perhaps are discussing the uh, situation. Uh, during World War II, when the British were our staunchest allies, this third stanza, stanza was not sung. However, I know it, so here it is. Now, imagine. Good thing I'm not singing this. Okay. Uh, and where is that band who so vauntingly swore? that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, I might mention here, this is in italics and it's reprinting is difficult to read here. A home and a country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed with their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph does wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, people have sung the third verse and don't even really remember it. The fourth stanza, a pious hope for the future, should be sung more slowly than the other three and with even deeper feeling. Now, this is the fourth verse that very few people know on the Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation, 
Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, for our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. I hope you will look at the national anthem with new eyes. Listen to it the next time you have a chance with new ears. And don't let them ever take it away. Now, Isaac Asimov died in 1992. And this was published then in July uh, that same year in Reader Digest from a previous article that he had written previously. So, I thought I might share that with you. And maybe when we hear the Star Spangled Banner, we won't groan so much, but we'll know that there was really significance. And it's a beautiful poem and a beautiful song. And it's sad that it's not in our hymnals that we don't sing that, but the only time we hear it is at ball games and maybe uh, if our own personal recordings at home. So among all nations, the United States is either hated or it's envied for its great freedoms, its great liberties, its great separation, its great independence. But when we look at the world scene today, we see politically, we see those things are disappearing from our America that we loved and that we remembered. I was having a conversation last week with someone who was really asking me, oh, what do I see difference, and I'm not going to take that time today, between when I was a boy of what was going on in America and our national heritage and the things that we see today. Uh, you have your own uh, viewpoint of that. These words that we have been examining today of uh, separation, division, freedom, liberty, independence, these all are character traits that we admire in our fellow Christians and especially in our beloved American, our nation. We, as saints, are to be free from sin, from the falseness, from excesses of uh, sin, from independence from God, depending on man. We're to be free from that. We're to put our trust and our faith and our confidence and our hope. And there are many other uh, scripture references and sermons that we can think about that uh, accent this concept. So, these are five important words that mean a lot to us as Americans and as Christians. And I hope that we appreciate them and accept them and believe them and live by them and use them to help us be closer to God in coming time.